Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. When most think of great Olympic boxing champions, memories of Sugar Ray Leonard, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, those are the guys that come to mind. Few, however, think of perhaps the greatest Olympic boxing champion of all time, a man who was a hero to an entire nation, only that nation is not the U.S., it's Cuba, and the Olympic champion, Teofilo Stevenson. Next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, a look back at the career of Teofilo Stevenson, the only boxer to win three straight Olympic heavyweight gold medals. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shape the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. In just a moment, Tom Clark will be joining me to talk about Teofilo Stevenson. Tom has written several books, including Death in the Ring, a very unique and fictional look at the sport of boxing. But... Before we go there, let's talk about Stevenson. You know, when I was researching, as I like to call them, forgotten heroes, I debated whether or not I should include Teofilo Stevenson. The reason being, he's not an American. But then I thought to myself, why should that exclude him? I remember watching him fight in the Olympics, and I remember a lot of talk about him turning pro and fighting the likes of Ali and Foreman. But those fights never materialized because Stevenson never turned pro. So should that exclude him? Nah, I don't think so, because the fact is, he was a hero. A hero to the people of Cuba. Not a military or dastardly hero, but a sports hero. And after all, isn't that what this podcast is about? And to many, listening to Sports Forgotten Heroes, Stevenson is forgotten. And to some, maybe they've never even heard of him. So here you go. He was awesome, as powerful as they came. And at six foot five, he was an intimidating figure. He took up the sport of boxing around the age of nine and learned under the guidance of Cuba's national lightweight champion, John Herrera. And Herrera recognized Stevenson's ability in the ring. And it wasn't long before Stevenson joined Cuba's national team, 1970. And at the age of 20, the youngster, now the top heavyweight in Cuba, was picked to represent Cuba in the 1972 Summer Olympic Games in Munich. Now, before Tom Clark joins the podcast, just a little business. I'd like to thank Hall of Fame supporters Henry R. from New Jersey and Jack K. from Las Vegas. I'd also like to thank my friends at the Hungry Cliff Podcast and the Hearthcast Podcast for all their support. 
To learn how you can become a supporter or sponsor of Sports Forgotten Heroes, check out our page at patreon.com backslash sportsfh. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash sportsfh. There you can see the different reward levels we offer, including how you can participate in a future podcast. You can also go to sportsfh.com for a link and to check out past episodes as well. And you can also see who else is coming up on future podcasts. Follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter at SportsFHeroes or search for our page on Facebook. Tom Clark has written several articles on the sport of boxing and has a terrific book out called Death in the Ring. And even though a lot of what he writes about is fictional, to make it believable, the research is unreal, cannot be understated. And his book, Death in the Ring, is proof of that. He is also one of the few to write about Teofilo Stevenson. Tom, welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes, and thank you for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell me about your book, Death in the Ring, and where fans of this podcast uh, can get a copy of it. Well, Death in the Ring is available on Amazon.com, both in the Kindle electronic format as well as the paperback uh, format. So it's uh, very easy to get. Also, generally, you can go into a bookstore, any bookstore, and order it. Uh, that would be through the, uh, the paperback uh, version. Uh, and um, it's divided into two parts. The first part is fantasies, and I thought it would be fun to just kind of, uh, in a literary way, uh, speculate on what some of the great champions and fighters in the past were like, such as John L. Sullivan, Peter Jackson, the great black fighter, uh, and uh, Sam Langford, Harry Grip, many others, right on through Dempsey and Tunney. And, um, and then um, once we get into the modern age, I, I had uh, a number of nonfiction articles. I met Archie Moore back in 1980 and, and wrote an article on him at the time, so I updated that. So I've, I've covered many of the champions back from the bare-knuckle days, Jack Sullivan, the last uh, bare-knuckle champion, right right on through the really the contemporary guys, including Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. So when we're talking about what a a fight might have been, one of the the great topics is how good a professional fighter a guy like Teofilo Stevenson might have been, and some think he might have actually been the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time. And then there are those who think he was just a great amateur and wouldn't have made it as a professional. What's your opinion and why? Teofilio, beyond question, and George Foreman, I was in reviewing material. I, I saw interviews with George Foreman that I had seen years before. And I agree with Foreman that Stevenson had as much raw talent as any heavyweight who's ever lived. Now, that doesn't mean he was a perfect fighter. No one has ever been perfect or ever will be. But he had tremendous size. He was 6'5". He had athleticism. He could move, had extremely long arms. And, of course, he had the single most powerful right hand in the history of boxing. Uh, he could uh, deliver it um, after the left jab, or he could, he could just throw the lead right. And when he hit people, he generally hit them either on the on the jaw, of course, or the side of the head. And people went down as if they were poleaxed. Now, regarding, and of course, he dominated the amateurs. We should note that he 
uh, beat three fighters at least who went on to own portions of the heavyweight title. Sure. Those being Michael Michael Dokes, John Tate, Tony Tubbs, and he also beat um, guys who went on to have very good pro careers like uh, Dwayne Bobbick and Tyrell Biggs. So uh, he undoubtedly would have been a major factor in the division. However, we also need to note that he spent his entire career as an amateur. He had more than 300 fights, and that means a three-round limit. So he was not fighting. I mean, he continued into full manhood, into his, uh, you know, right up into his peak and beyond uh, as an amateur, and he was fighting guys who were ultimately who were younger. Now, that doesn't take away from his great talent or his achievement as an amateur, but uh, he, for example, lost twice to the uh, banger out of uh, the Soviet Union, Igor Vyzatsky. And Vyzatsky knocked out Stevenson in one of those fights. It is inconceivable. Despite the fact that Vyzatsky was a fine fighter, it's inconceivable that uh, Vyzatsky would have stopped Muhammad Ali for example, or that he would have stopped George Foreman. So I, I believe that he would have been a tremendously uh, effective heavyweight. He would have knocked out a lot of people, but he would also from time to time would have been knocked out, which, again, that happens to most fighters anyway. But um, I, I think he would have owned at least one of the titles for a time. After all, the, the fighters I named who he beat as amateurs – he could have beaten them as professionals. I'll review them. Michael Dokes, John Tate, and Tony Tubbs, very fine fighters. But certainly, if they won titles, shares of titles, and they did, then we, we have to assume that Teofilio Stevenson would have done that and more. As you, he, as you noted, he was, he was only fought as an amateur, so his fights were three-round fights. So he never really trained right. to go 12 or 15 rounds. So was the fact that he was such a great amateur boxer, was was that because he trained just for three-round fights? And is there something different when you only train for three-round fights as opposed for training for 12 or a long time ago, 15-round fights? Right. Well, in the case of Stevenson, uh, we always have to start with his tremendous athleticism, his size, 6'5", as I mentioned, the long arms, the extraordinary power in the right hand. You can't teach or even work to develop the kind of power Stevenson has. has. Now, we're lucky we have YouTube. We can get on YouTube and, and go back and watch Stevenson's fights or Ollie's or, 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 or any number of events uh, in and out of sports. And when you watch Stevenson, you're just struck by how time and time again throughout his career he hits a person once or twice with the right hand and their history. They're just down. And I, I use the term poleaxe, and it's appropriate. It's like a, or like you see cattle hit with a bang stick, you know, and boom, they drop. Uh, so uh, I, that is what you always have to think of when you think of Stevenson, a guy with extraordinary talent. Now, regarding his training, uh, of course, I think that he didn't, not that it mattered since he didn't fight professionals, but it, it didn't, uh, it didn't reach his potential because guys who are training for 12 and 15 round fights and who are going against guys who are at their absolute peak, Ali Frazier kind of fights, 
Ali Foreman. Uh, you know, those guys uh, would have handled Stevenson as he was as an amateur. Now, we, we don't know what he would have been as a pro. Now, as uh, I've got his record right here, 302 wins, 22 losses as an amateur. Had he had, say, 50 fights as a professional, he would have been, I believe, far better than anything we saw. But what we did see was magnificent. We don't have to gnash our teeth about what we so much missed with Stevenson because we saw extraordinary achievements in the Olympics, three, three Olympic crowns, gold medals, three world championships uh, in the amateur uh, ranks. And um, it would have been great, of course, to see him have some super fights with uh, Ali or Foreman. Uh, yeah, his, his Olympic record is incredible. He's the only heavyweight to win three gold medals. And he might have won right. a fourth had Cuban not boycotted the 84 Olympics in uh, Los Angeles. Tell me oh, about absolutely. his yeah yeah. Tell me about his career as an Olympic boxer and the fact that he did beat so many future champions like John Tate. Right. Well, in the '72 Olympics, uh, a guy named Dwayne Bobick uh, was the favorite. He had beaten the 19-year-old Stevenson the year before. Um, he had uh, decisioned him. Uh, it was a close decision, uh, three to two for Bobic. So Bobic went in. He was the banger and uh, the more mature guy, a little bit older than Stevenson. And he was considered, uh, frankly, the great white hope. And uh, uh, so anyway, they met in the 72 Olympics. And Stevenson uh, absolutely annihilated him, uh, put him down a couple of times, each time with the right hand, of course, and the second time. Bobbick, and I note this in my article, Bobbick was actually in the fetal position. And that's not a criticism of Bobbick. It just shows you the extraordinary power of Stevenson. So that, that, that was how the world got to know Stevenson. He was unknown internationally until the 72 Olympics, but his talent was unmistakable. Then in the uh, 76 Olympics, uh, he went against another talented American, John Tate, who we talked about, would go on to win a, a, one of the heavyweight titles. And uh, he knocked Tate out. He hit him with a right hand in the first round. I, I remember it so well. And Tate, the referee, waved his hands for a, a standing eight count, and Tate starts walking to his right and gets over to the corner and then just collapses. It was a delayed reaction uh, knockout, which can be among the most devastating. And so that was his second gold medal. And then in 1980, the U.S. didn't. Uh, participate because of the boycott following Russia's invasion of Afghanistan. But um, certainly Stevenson would have beaten anyone the U.S. put up against him uh, in, in 1980. And, and as you say, if it hadn't been for the uh, response, the Soviet bloc uh, uh, boycotting the U.S. Olympics as punishment for the U.S. boycott in 1980, I fully believe that Stevenson would have would have won in '84 as well. The boycott. The 1980s Summer Olympics were held in Moscow, and in fact, it was the first time ever that the Olympics were held in Eastern Europe and in a socialist country. At the time, however, the Soviet Union was at war with Afghanistan, and our president Jimmy Carter threatened to boycott the Olympics unless the Soviets pulled out. Of course, that didn't happen. 
So the U.S., along with 65 other countries, and these included places like Canada and Israel, Japan and West Germany, they didn't show up. So Stevenson won the gold for the third straight time, thus becoming the first boxer ever to win gold in the same division three straight times. In 1972 at Munich, he won his first fight by TKO in 30 seconds, knocked Dwayne Bobbick to the canvas three times in the third round of the quarterfinals before the referees stopped the fight, scored a semifinal TKO over German fighter Peter Hussing in the second round, and won the gold medal when Ion Alexei of Romania couldn't fight because of injury. In 1976, Stevenson won by a second-round knockout in his first match, a first-round knockout in the quarters, and then, in the semis, he knocked out John Tate in the first round. And if you want to see that fight, and for that matter, other fights of Teofilo Stevenson, I have a link to them and the fight against John Tate on SportsFH.com. In the gold medal round, Stevenson scored a TKO in the third round over Mircea Simon of Romania. In 1980, Stevenson was at it again. He won his first match by knockout in the first round, won his second match with a knockout in the third round, won a semifinal match with a unanimous 5-0 decision, and then defeated Peter Zaev 4-1 to win his third straight gold medal, Zaev of the Soviet Union. However, the powerful righty never had a chance to go for a fourth straight gold because of another boycott. This time, it was the Soviets' turn. The Olympics were held on U.S. soil, Los Angeles, and the USSR claimed it did not boycott the Olympics in retaliation for 1980, wink wink. Rather, the Soviets cited security concerns. And, in support of the Soviet Union, Cuba, along with Bulgaria, East Germany, Mongolia, Vietnam, Laos, and Czechoslovakia, all boycotted as well. Tyrell Biggs of the U.S. capitalized on Stevenson's absence and won the gold by defeating Francesco Damiani by a 4-1 decision. Incidentally, previous to the 1984 Olympics, Biggs and Stevenson faced each other twice, and each time, Stevenson came out on top. Yeah, Stevenson beat several big-name boxers, and like we said, he was as powerful as they came. Let's let's talk a little bit about his proficiency in the ring. You noted that he was just a powerful puncher. What yeah. made him so good? Where did that power come from? Well, first of all, he, he, yeah, certainly no one, I mean, the laws of physics would dictate that no one is going to hit as hard as Stevenson, that is, to put heavyweights down like they were kids almost. Bam. Now, so size is part of it. Being six five with the long arms, and you, know, you have tremendous leverage. And if you look at photos of Stevenson or watching them on video, you see uh, his musculature is very impressive. He's tremendously well built. But I, the, the tremendous knockout power uh, that Stevens had, or, or any time a fighter has some great knockout power, that's a, a natural gift. It's just like a, a pitcher with a hundred mile an hour fastball. You can work hard and develop yourself and enhance your inherent gifts, but you're not going to be, uh, you know, this all-pro, all-world specimen in any sport, in this case boxing, unless you, you just have the gift. And, of course, Stevenson was a very hard worker, though. I mean, he 
as we noted, had more than 300 amateur fights at the highest level. So, um, I mean, he was just a guy with a tremendous gift who worked hard. And really, uh, after normally, let's say in the United States, uh, in most Western countries, if a guy had that kind of talent after the 72 Olympics, when he was 20 years old and he'd gone out there and dominated people, he would have signed uh, a major contract and would have become quite wealthy uh, in his early and mid-20s and would have won a, a share of some title. But again, you know, in that period, early to mid-70s and beyond, you're talking about the golden era of heavyweights. Ali, Frazier, Foreman, then a little later, Larry Holmes in 78, Larry Holmes became champion. Um, I'm a little biased, you know, since uh, maybe the hometown guys, but I think I'm also objective for the most part. And uh, I, I think any of those four champions, those great heavyweight champions I just mentioned, I think that they would take Stevenson. At least the Stevenson that we saw, if we had seen a Stevenson uh, who had fought uh, 10, 12, and even 15-round fights, we would have seen um, uh, an even more formidable Stevenson. Yeah, there are many who believe had he turned professional, he could have stopped Ali. Of course, it's all conjecture. Yeah. How would have a fight like that turned out? Would he have been able to even hang with a guy like Ali or Foreman or Frazier? Could he have hung? I, I, first of all, I, I don't think even if he had been a full-time professional that he would have knocked out Ali. Ali was a guy you simply didn't knock out in his prime. He was only stopped out, or even after his prime, he was only stopped after a two-year layoff when he came back uh, far too late in life at age 38 against the great Larry Holmes. Uh, so, I mean, we know history teaches us if fighters stay around too long, uh, they're not only going to get beat, they're going to get beat up. So uh, that was unfortunate that the great Ali came back. Uh, but uh, in my view, even if Stevenson, as Stevenson was, he definitely gets knocked out by uh, Foreman and Ali and, and uh, uh, Larry Holmes. He, he gets picked apart and beaten. Uh, I, I don't see him knocking out. Uh, Ali had a, a great chin. Uh, so did Foreman, and so did Larry Holmes. Um, so, I mean, he certainly can hurt any man who's ever lived uh, if he hits him on the chin. But um, it's an easy question. The Stevenson that we saw, the amateur Stevenson didn't develop to the degree that these guys did by turning pro and fighting the greatest fighters and, and, and doing it over 10 rounds and, and up to 15. We don't, we, we have to say that Stevenson, because of all of this talent that he had, if he had fought as a pro, we have to give him a shot at, let's say, beating Ollie. I don't see him knocking out Ollie. Uh, you know, and again, when it comes to getting knocked out, Igor Vyzotsky knocked out Stevenson. And that's not a criticism because Vyzotsky was a very tough guy and uh, uh, became friendly with Stevenson you know, after their career. But I, I, I think, Steve, yeah, at the time, this was something much discussed, and I think it still is discussed. And I, and I think we would have to uh, say it's in order to have a chance against those Ali, Foreman, Frazier, and Holmes, he would have to have developed as a pro. 
Right, and that means he would have had to have fought a couple of 12-round fights, 15-round fights. He only fought three-round fights. That's right. One thing I write about in Death in the Ring is is the damage that boxers sustain, as as the title would indicate. And um, even in amateur boxing, I think we see this. Uh, They don't fight these horrific, uh, you know, 12 or 15-round fights as they used to, but uh, they fight, in the case of Stevenson, more than 300 times. So I I think uh, what I get into later in the article is that Stevenson um, probably sustained some brain damage. Uh, I don't mean in terms of dementia pugilistica, but he wasn't punch drunk per se, but he had some emotional problems. And uh, some years ago, I was uh, uh, reading about him online, and I'll give a credit here to a, a British writer named Bryn Jonathan Butler, had an interview with Stevenson in Cuba, and he paid Stevenson uh, uh, something on the order of 150 bucks uh, for the right to interview Stevenson for 75 minutes. And when he arrived at Stevenson's house um, in the morning, Stevenson was intoxicated, was drinking straight vodka out of, uh, I think, a plastic bottle, and was uh, chain-smoking cigarettes and uh, and was quite skinny and, you know, essentially frail, very gray. And, um, you know, so we can see that he was a guy who would, in fact, die at, at age 60, which happened in uh, 2012. Incidentally, Stevenson was born the same year as I, which was uh, 1952. Uh, from 24 years, I taught English as a second language for adults. And here in Bakersfield, California, 110 miles north of uh, Los Angeles. And most of my students... 80% roughly. I mean, we had students from all over the world, but 80% were from Mexico. But um, as I mentioned in the story, I, one day I heard an accent that was not uh, a Mexican accent. And uh, I asked this guy, so where are you from in Spanish? I said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Cuba. And Stevenson had just died, so this was probably 2012. And I said, yeah, it's too bad he died so young. What happened? And he said Stevens had a lot of problems with alcohol, with drugs, and with women. And uh, so uh, we often see this in boxers because, and, you know, it's the brutal nature of the sport combined with the blows to the head. And uh, they just, uh, it's really, it's a tragic combination. Even when you're only fighting three rounds, when you're fighting 320-something fights, it's got to take yeah. its toll. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, with fighters, it's not only their fights, which is, of course, on a minute-by-minute basis where they're going to take the most punishment, but they, they spend thousands and thousands of rounds over, say, a 20-year period in the gym. And those hits count, too. Ali started boxing when he was 12 years old. And, uh, you know, so you're getting hit as a kid. The Corey brothers, both of whom died of uh, dementia pugilistica uh, when they were uh, in their uh, 50s and are buried not far from where I stand right now. They're buried in Shafter 
California, where they, the family lived when they were young, before they moved to Bellflower in the Los Angeles area. So, yeah, yeah, they they take a lot of punishment, and uh, these these guys like Stevenson, they, they may only fight three-round fights, but they're in the gym all the time, and then they have so many of these big fights. And uh, so, um, yeah, the intensity is there. I, I think overall uh, amateurs probably uh, are less damaged than the pros. Uh, they wear headgear, and they uh, generally wear headgear, not always. And uh, uh, I think referees are, are more ready to step in and stop amateur fights than the pro fights, which generally uh, uh, often go too long. His overall record as a boxer, as you noted, was 302 wins and 22 losses. It's it's just ridiculous to think that someone would fight that much. And he had an 11-year unbeaten streak, which ended in 1982 when he lost to Francisco Damiani, the first ever WBO champion. So he did fight a lot of champions, just... How, yeah, how yeah. good was this guy? How good was Stevenson? Well, he was great. Uh, he was uh, synonymous, uh, as I say, since I, I was born in the same year as Stevenson. And, you know, I, obviously, I grew up with a lot of guys who were sports fans, and we discussed Stevenson uh, frequently because he was, you know, just like you do, whether it's Willie Mays or uh, Will Chamberlain, right. or Michael Jordan, any great athlete, Tiger Woods, you're going to talk about this guy because he's exciting. So we all, I can tell you, we all considered him a great athlete and a great fighter. Uh, We just considered that he just didn't reach his full potential because he stayed in the amateurs. Now, again, that is in no way a criticism because, as I say, I think that um, amateur fighters generally don't, suffer the kind of brain damage that professional fighters do. But, and, and, uh, of and, course, that's where the money is. Sure. Sure. And rather than turn professional, he was happier with the adoration of the Cuban people than with the potential millions he could have made fighting the likes of Ali. In fact, that's it's right. reported that he turned down $5 million to fight Muhammad Ali. So I'm guessing Fidel Castro must have taken good care of him because he did. He chose his country over wealth. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Stevenson must have been in a uh, in an emotional comfort zone in order to uh, to just say, hey, I, I like being an amateur. I like these three round fights. I like fighting for my country uh, as well as myself and. Uh, I think that was his comfort zone, and he saw no reason. Uh, he may have sensed that the uh, brutality of the professional game uh, was far more severe than it was in the amateur, and um, he he was just comfortable with that and uh, didn't want to uh, get involved with the uh, additional punishment that was uh, was and is sustained by professional fighters. You know, as the years pass, and we had just discussed this, as you alluded to, um, and, and he could no longer fight, he did fall on hard times. What was his life like after he fought? Well, you know, I, I, as far as I, not that there's tremendous amount of information, but from talking to this, this Cuban, not now Cuban-American, who was in my class, uh, from talking to him, reading this article by the aforementioned uh, 
British writer, um, and just putting it together, and, and then just these little tidbits you see in articles about him having trouble. Uh, for example, late, this is actually, I think, after his career, he was an official, and he was in the airport in somewhere in Florida, probably Miami, and he headbutted uh, one of the airline uh, officials. Stevenson said that he was provoked, and the other guy said, no, he wasn't. So he butted the guy, bloodied him, I think, uh, perhaps even loosened or knocked out some teeth. And in fact, Stevenson was allowed to get on the plane, and he never returned to the United States. So I, I think just when we read between the lines, we see that... Uh, uh, I, I mean, we don't have any police reports or things like that, like, for example, these scrapes that he had with his three wives and three divorces and, and other women. But uh, in the article I read uh, about his last, his, you know, really near the end, um, evidently uh, he was living in a rather modest place, but it did have a wall around it. And uh, allegedly uh, women would have to make... Uh, uh, quick escapes either over the wall or through the gate. And that's not to say that Stevenson was a criminal or anything like that, but it, he was a man who was uh, battling emotional problems and drinking problems and perhaps the effects of uh, a long career in the ring. Do you think he had any regrets when it came to boxing and not turning professional? Well, you know, he was asked that in the interview uh, late in his life. And the one for which he was paid 100, about 150 bucks, and he said he had no regrets. He said he had no regrets at all. Of course, he was intoxicated as he said that, but uh, that may well be the case. I, I don't think Stevenson's problems late in life had anything to do with whether or not he, you know, he feels he should have been a professional. I think he had uh, other problems, uh, evidently alcoholism and cigarette smoking. I, I think those were severe problems. And uh, evidently, he wasn't keeping busy enough. You know, if, you, if a guy can get up in the morning and drink, uh, it probably means that really he needs a, a job or something to uh, really uh, focus his attention on, you know, on his energies. He had been a highly competitive guy since, you know, late teens and a world-class fighter from late teens on and then a dominant fighter in his 20s up to his mid-30s. So, um, I think uh, he was drifting, and, uh, you know, really, I think part of it could have been the Cuban economy. I mean, what's a guy going to do in Cuba if he's committed to Cuba as he was? What is he going to do uh, with his time in order to make money? Um, uh, of course, he could have been he could have been a coach. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not going to blame the Cuban economic system or political system, but uh, I, I think it could have been a factor. I think his, his options were limited on that island. And uh, if he could have, uh, uh, for example, uh, promoted fights like Oscar De La Hoya is doing now or, or been a, a trainer like a lot of uh, fighters do. But, of course, most fighters who are trainers are not former superstars. But anyway, he, he just was literally hemmed in uh, by those walls around his house and uh, – just spent far too much time drinking. But he did love the adoration of the Cuban public. That was that was worth oh, it absolutely. to him. Yeah, yeah, he he loved it. He was he had a very special feeling. 
I was reviewing not only some of his fight films today, but uh, uh, films from his funeral. It was an open casket funeral. Uh, he um, they had glass over his his face, uh, but it showed people crying, and, and their grief was was palpable. Uh, he was he was a, the greatest sports hero I think that Cuba has ever had, and uh, perhaps. Is perhaps only second only to Fidel uh, Castro as the second most popular guy in the history of the island. Certainly, he's one of the great heroes in the history of the island and the foremost athletic hero. And uh, so, yes, he did have a very strong bond with the you know, uh, Cuban people, and they with him. What was his relationship with Fidel Castro like? Do you know? I, I don't know any of the intimate details, but uh, I think we can assume that uh, it sense. You know, he's talked about his love for the Cuban people and the fact that he stayed there and he turned down millions of dollars in order to to stay in Cuba and be part of that uh, society. I think that uh, we can uh, be confident that uh, he and Fidel were, at least at one time, were good friends. I, I don't know what... Uh, um, I'm sure they were very proud of each other's attention, you know, the great leader, the commandante and jefe, anyone who has the attention of a chief of state is generally going to be flattered by it, and the chief of state is going to be flattered by the attention of a three-time gold medal winner and an international celebrity who's an athlete. Um, now, what did Castro think later on? You know, Fidel, secret police, and so forth, certainly would have been aware that Stevenson had a very serious drinking problem. And, and, and the people of Cuba who loved him, undoubtedly, some of them uh, who came in contact would have been aware of this too. So I, I don't know how that affected his personal relationship with Fidel. I don't know if Fidel uh, perhaps distanced himself from uh, Stevenson as, as Stevenson's problems worsened, or perhaps he reached out to Stevenson and, and tried to help him. I haven't been able to determine uh, the nature of the relationship near the end of Stevenson's life. Teofilo Stevenson really put Cuba on the map as an athletic power because of his prowess in the ring. Is that true? Yeah, that's that's certainly true. I think uh, people who, you know, a lot of Cuban athletes uh, just haven't had a chance to, uh, to be known internationally. Um, they were repressed and, and in the case of some of them, like Stevenson wouldn't have wanted to be pros anyway. But we've seen guys like El Duque, the pitcher, and, and others come from Cuba uh, to the United States to, uh, to to make some money and to, to play on the, the grandest stage in the world. And um, so, but anyway, yes, he was the first huge star. I mean, he wasn't the first great athlete to come out of Cuba, but he was the first huge star, first superstar. And after that, I think people started taking a look at the, the great Cuban boxers. And also in the 1976 Olympics, he's perhaps not as well known now, but he was a huge star then. Alberto Guantarena, who was known as El Caballo, the horse, who became the first guy to win the 400 and the 800 meter runs in the same Olympics. And, uh, and so you start with Stevenson, go move into Juan Torrena. And, and just in general, uh, I think there's been a lot of uh, appreciation 
for the Cuban uh, boxers uh, and uh, um, track and field athletes, and of course the Cuban baseball players. Cuba, that's Cuba's greatest sport, really. Uh, well, they're awfully good at boxing, but uh, they have uh, great baseball players too. It's it's unfortunate we can't have a. And I, perhaps now, you know, with the passing of Castro, the uh, Obama's opening of relationship, the relations with Cuba. Perhaps there can be a major league team in Havana someday, and the people of Havana would love it, and it would be a great opportunity for the Cuban players. Sure. To have Havana as a major league uh, franchise in in, uh, baseball. Anything is possible. So let's look back at the ring for a second. So when comparing Stevenson to the other great boxers we are so familiar with, especially those who fought during the same time period, where would you rank Teofilo Stevenson? On a, you mean an all-time heavyweight list? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, uh, I would I, I would have to do it based only on what we actually saw, rather than projecting him as a pro. We we can be confident that he would be better. He would have been even better. He was great as an amateur, but he would have been even better had he developed as a pro. But based on the the guy that I saw. And uh, the guy who was knocked out by Igor Vyzovsky, I would have to say that uh, he was, uh, I would say throughout his career, he was probably at all times uh, top three in the world. Uh, who else could you compare and say was just as powerful as Teofilo Stevenson to give us some sort of someone to compare Stevenson to? I don't think I've ever seen anyone knock out as many people with single right hands is Stevenson. Ernie Shavers was uh, a legend for his uh, devastating right hand. But uh, really, even Shavers, I think, would, would agree that uh, Stevenson is, is really the single greatest right-hand knockout puncher in history. Is there anything else we should know about Teofilo Stevenson that we haven't covered here today? Well, I'll tell you, there's a great deal about him I would like to know. <laughs> you know, just kind of, frankly, the behind-the-scenes stuff, which isn't necessarily our business, but when a person is a public figure and uh, has some controversy and some difficulty, uh, one wonders, okay, what what was his life like at its core, you know, particularly, say, the last uh, 20 years of his life? That, I think, is the story that people... Uh, will be looking for, and uh, I'm sure that some enterprising individual uh, in the Caribbean will uh, uh, will write that book. Perhaps someone already has. I, uh, I'm not familiar with it, but it's, it's a story that people would like to learn about uh, one, of really, one of the most gifted fighters who's ever lived. Tom, thank you again for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. Absolutely loved having you here. Again, tell our listeners where they can order your book, Death in the Ring, and discover more of your work. Yeah, a, a good place to go is, uh, well, my website is georgethomasclark.com. I go by Tom, but my full name is George Thomas Clark, and then the .com. And then Amazon. My works are uh, all my books. I've got nine of them right now are on Amazon. So uh, Death in the Ring is available there. Uh, my most widely read book so far is uh, was my first book, which is Hitler Here, a biographical novel. So my website, georgethomasclark.com, and amazon.com. Just put in George Thomas Clark, and they can get a, a good uh, overview of my work. 
Well, thank you again, and I sure hope to have you on again in the near future. Well, it was my pleasure. I'd be delighted to return anytime. To see all Tom has written, please visit his website, georgethomasclark.com. His work is also available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. That's georgethomasclark.com. You know, it's amazing to me to see how different societies value different things. Here in the U.S., I think the pressure for Stevenson to turn professional would have been too great. But by all accounts, he was set up very nicely in Cuba and didn't need to turn to professional to enjoy a terrific lifestyle, at least by Cuban standards. Stevenson died young, though. He was just 60 when he suffered a fatal heart attack on June 11, 2012. His career record is not listed in cement. Nonetheless, he won over 300 fights. Absolutely incredible. And he lost only 20. Again, absolutely incredible. Would he have made a great professional? Well, like Clark said, he beat eventual world champions, and one can only dream what the pro game would have been like for Stevenson had he trained for fights to go longer than three rounds. Guess we'll never know, just like we'll never know if the Yankees of the 20s could have beaten the Yankees of the 50s. Or what would have happened if Michael Jordan's Bulls played the Bill Russell version of the Celtics? Or if Jack Nicklaus and Ben Hogan could have dueled it out on the golf course when both were in their primes? That's the great thing about sports. A lot of conjecture and great barroom discussions. For more on Sports Forgotten Heroes, please visit our page at patreon.com backslash sportsfh. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash sportsfh. You could even learn how to participate in a future podcast. Again, patreon.com backslash sportsfh. Check out our website, sportsfh.com. Follow us on Twitter at SportsFHeroes or search for our page on Facebook, Sports Forgotten Heroes. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we'll take a look back at the career of a terrific golfer, the 1964 British Open champion, Champagne Tony Lima. Thanks again to Tom Clark, and we'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.